Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Justin, and I'm a student pastor uh, here at GBC, and it is my absolute privilege to be able to preach God's Word to us this morning. Uh, and this morning, we do uh, come to our final week in our three-part series in slowing down uh, and looking at the Great Commission. Uh, Tony and I, we've joked that uh, we're looking to drive a small wedge in an even smaller gap by spending three weeks in uh, just five verses. Uh, but how refreshing and how encouraging has it been to be reminded of the mission, not just of Gosnell's Baptist Church, but of every individual who follows Jesus. Uh, it is in our going, wherever we go, that we are to make disciples. And as we do so, our sovereign King who suffered with us is with us until the end of the age to be our strength, our comfort, and animating us for the work of making disciples of all nations. Uh, now this morning, this will be something of more of a topical treatment of what it means for us to make disciples. We've been commanded by Jesus to go and to make disciples, and every week we remind ourselves of the why, because without Christ, we are dead in our sin. And the gospel is the power for salvation, which the Spirit uses to raise people to life and to seat them in the heavenly places with Christ. The where is pretty clear as well, isn't it? Wherever you go in your going, which makes the who pretty clear as well, right? We hold out the word of life to everyone who will listen. And so the big question that we're left with is how. How are we to make disciples? Now, this might seem like a basic question and maybe even feel like uh, a non-issue to you. You might think, uh, Justin, I'm just going to keep holding out Jesus to people and see whether they accept him or not. But can I raise the stakes on this question by suggesting that if we do not make disciples in the way that Jesus has commanded us, then why should we have any confidence that they truly belong to him and that they will be welcomed into his kingdom on that final day. The question of how, therefore, is of vital importance. And our Lord Jesus, he has been so gracious as to tell us how we are to make disciples. So before we answer this question, let's read our passage once again. You might even you know, be starting to remember it off by heart by now, uh, but have your Bibles open as well. It's going to be on the screen. Uh, I'll read and then I'll pray and we'll ask for the Spirit's help for us. Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, please, would you help us this morning to not just rightly understand your word and your truth, but that we would be changed by it. Please give us focus, Lord, that you would help our hearts and our minds to be fully engaged with your word. Please help us to see our own desperate need for your grace to be at work in our lives, growing us and shaping us to be more like Christ and his disciples. 
but also to participate in this great work to which you have called us to, making disciples of all nations. Please change us through the preaching of your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit for the salvation of the nations, for the good of your people, and for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name do we ask these things, Father. Amen. Uh, How are we to make disciples? Uh, It is a big question. Uh, If you were to walk into Kurong tomorrow and ask for a book on making disciples, you would have no small number to choose from. Uh, It's a big question that has a big number of answers, and particularly so over the last few centuries, uh, which in large part is because of a man named uh, Charles Grandison Finney. This is old mate Charles. Uh, He was an old revivalist preacher who lived just after the times of George Whitfield uh, in the 18th and 19th century. Uh, And Finney, he actually causes, uh, he caused quite a stir amongst evangelical Christianity. Uh, You see, he taught that revival was not caused by a miraculous movement of the Spirit of God, but by what he calls the result of the right use of appropriate means. Uh, So, rather than relying on the Word of God and the Spirit of God to bring about a revival movement, Finney introduced a whole range of other means to help uh, people decide to choose Jesus. Uh, This included the use of mass advertising, uh, making revivalist meetings go on for much longer than what they were scheduled for, and most notably, introducing something called uh, the anxious bench, uh, what the anxious bench was, was a bench at the front of the church, which uh, people were you know, strongly encouraged to come forward to uh, during the meeting as they were feeling convicted so that they could receive prayer and encouragement from leaders. See, what Charles Finney believed is that he could make disciples by pressing the right buttons and pulling the right levers. And I begin by telling this because I want to warn us away from this kind of thinking. Because the immediate answer to this question, how are we to make disciples, is actually quite simple, but profoundly important. We can't. We can't make disciples. What do you mean, Justin? Hasn't Jesus reminded us here to go and make disciples? Why are we spending three weeks thinking about why and where and how we should go and make disciples Uh, just for you to tell us that we can't. Well, if by making disciples you mean getting people to come to church, then sure, we can make disciples. Or if by making disciples you mean getting people to read their Bibles, then sure, we can make disciples. Or if by making disciples you mean getting people to be part of our community, then sure, we can make disciples. But that's not what Jesus means when he commands us to make disciples. Being a disciple will look like doing all of those things, but becoming a disciple actually is something far more radical than that. Look with me at Matthew 16. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, or literally if anyone would be my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
See, if you want to make a disciple of your neighbor or of that beloved family member or of your work friend or, you know, your nine-year-old daughter, then you need to get them to lose their life. You need to get them to deny themselves and to pick up their cross and to follow Jesus. And having just recently looked at uh, Ephesians 2 together a few months ago, please tell me how we could possibly hope to get someone who is spiritually dead and has their entire being set against God to do something as crazy as that. See, we can't make disciples. Only God can do that. Only God can change the human heart. Only he can raise them from the dead. Only he can give them a new birth. Only he can create in them the desire to want to deny themselves and to pick up their cross and follow Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus means so much more than just going to church or just reading your Bible or being in community with other believers. Being a disciple of Jesus means a fundamental heart change. Leaving our old lives behind and following him. How on earth are we supposed to convince people to want to do that? We can't, can we? But praise God that he can. So what then do we make of Jesus' command to us to go and make disciples of all nations? Well, contra Charles Finney, it's not by pushing the right buttons and pulling the right levers. But what we see in our passage is that it is by baptizing people and teaching them to observe all that he has commanded us. That's what our passage says in 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. See, this is something really important for us to understand in these verses. See, baptizing and teaching, these are not things that go alongside making disciples. The Great Commission is not go make disciples, go baptize, go teach. No, baptizing and teaching are in fact the means by which we go and make disciples. Uh, If you would indulge me for just 20 seconds, I'll try to help us to see the beauty of the New Testament originally being written in Greek and not in English. Uh, Tony, he alluded to this last week, but uh, being fresh out of Bible college, I'm far more tempted to show this explicitly. Uh, I'll cop the feedback tomorrow, that's okay. Uh, So the main verb in this is to make disciples. Uh, The Greek language is a very clear way of making this the case. Uh, Go is telling us uh, the, the timing or, or when it is that we're to go and to do this, which is why Tony so helpfully showed us last week that it is in our going or as we go. And then what baptising and teaching is, is actually the means in which we are to make disciples. Baptising and teaching are the actions which give more information about the main verb to make disciples. And so here, we have our answer to the question, how 
are we to make disciples? We have to hold in tension the reality that we can't, and only the Spirit of God working through the Word of God can truly make someone a disciple of Christ. But at the same time, our Lord Jesus has made it clear to us the part that we are to make in the Great Commission. And I would argue that baptizing people and teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded is, is a summary, right, of the Christian life of discipleship. What Jesus has given us here in these final words of Matthew's Gospel is a summary of discipleship in two vital ways that we are to make disciples in a way that we can be confident that they truly do belong to Jesus and that they will actually live a life in which they follow him. Baptizing and teaching is by no means a matter of pressing the right buttons or pulling the right levers, but they are gracious and life-giving means from our Lord Jesus that will enable us to work with him in making disciples of all nations. So first, let's consider that we are to make disciples by baptizing them. As we've seen, we cannot be the ones to cause someone to deny themselves and to pick up their cross and follow Jesus. We do not and we cannot change the human heart. That is only the work of the Holy Spirit. It's our role, right, to bring the gospel to them, to evangelize people, isn't it? We're the ones to take the gospel to those who need to hear it. As Paul says in Romans 10, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, can God save someone without us? Of course he can. He's God. He does whatever he wants. But is that what he normally does? Absolutely not. God ordinarily saves people through the preaching of the gospel because the gospel is the power unto salvation. The proclamation that Christ died for the sins of his people, that he was buried and on the third day God raised him from the grave and he is now ascended to the right hand of the Father and one day he will come again to judge the living and the dead. This is the gospel. This is the power of salvation. And this is the message that we must take to our loved ones, to the hundreds of thousands in this region alone who are dead in their sins and need the power of the Spirit to raise them to life. And we, it will only come through the gospel. The Spirit of God using the Word of God to do the work of God. And so we can see in this sense, we absolutely can make disciples. In fact, we should not expect God to make disciples if we do not go. We should not expect to see a single convert if we are content to sit here comfortably in church and keep the gospel to ourselves. But what a wonder and a joy it is to actually get to partner with God, to work alongside him to see people saved. We actually get to do that. And we actually get to do that boldly and joyfully, expecting God to do the miraculous. 
Maybe not every time we have a conversation with someone about the gospel, but his promise to us in his word is that his word will never fail to achieve what it is set out to do. Ransoming a people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation, until the full number of his elect is reached so that they would proclaim his excellencies. You see, God's work, it will not fail. And so we can have every confidence in joining him in it. So the question is, how does baptism fit into this? Why would Jesus not say, go therefore and make disciples, evangelizing them and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded? Well, this is because baptism is the proper response to the promises of God that are held out to us in the gospel. I'll explain what, what I mean by that in just a moment. But first, what does Jesus mean here by baptism? Well, there's no doubt that Jesus means here the act of being immersed in water and then being raised up again. Uh, We actually get the word baptism directly from the Greek word baptizo, which literally just means to immerse. And this act of immersing someone in the water and then raising them out again really only began to happen in the New Testament. Uh, This is what John the Baptist did as he was preparing the way for the Lord. It's also what Jesus and his disciples did as part of their ministry too. And why were people baptised? Well, it was an act of repentance and faith to ready themselves for the coming of the promised Messiah. People were baptised as a sign that they had turned from their sin and were washed clean from it and were now living a new life in a way that would deem them ready to welcome the coming of their king. And just as John's baptism prepared the way for the coming king, our baptism also now prepares us for the second coming of our king. Baptism is spoken of as a sign, a sign which points us to the reality that this person really has gone down in the waters with Christ and has died with him and has now been raised into the newness of life with him too. This is what it says in Romans Chapter 6, do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ were baptised into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. See, what Paul is talking about here is not only uh, about our water baptism, but more fundamentally is pointing us to our spiritual baptism with Christ. Water baptism points to the reality of your spiritual baptism with Christ when you placed your faith in him by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, baptism doesn't save you or make you a disciple, but it is the proper mark of someone who has been saved and is a disciple. Uh, This is why we believe that it's proper to baptise someone once they have credibly professed their faith in Christ. It's a sign that the true spiritual reality has taken place in them, and so in being baptised, they profess their faith and demonstrate it publicly, and so be visibly marked as a disciple too. 
See, baptism is a visible sign of the spiritual reality. But baptism is so much more than that too. We must be careful not to, be, not to make baptism out to be a work that we have done and trust that's because I decided to be baptised, then I will be saved. No, first and foremost, baptism is God himself holding out the promises of the gospel to us, which we then receive with the empty hands of faith. And that is because baptism is a visible gospel word to us, which God has graciously given to us for our benefit to be comforted and strengthened by. Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can be quite numb to hearing the gospel week in and week out. Uh, I get familiar with it, I assume to know it all already, and my heart can quickly grow cold to the beauty of the truths of it. But in baptism, we have physically experienced the truths of the gospel, haven't we? For those of us who have been baptised, you might still remember that day uh, when you were standing in the water, and then as your pastor lowered you into the waters, you feel that cold rush of the water coming up over your chest and over your head, and then you panic for a moment as you wonder whether he's going to pull you back out again, uh, and then taking that first gasp of air as you're raised out of the water. See, in that moment, you have just physically experienced the wonderful gospel reality that you have died with Christ, that you were buried with him, and that you have been raised to life again in him. And in a similar way, every time that we get to stand and watch another brother or sister go down into those waters and come out again, we experience the gospel visibly, don't we? It's like we hear the gospel with our eyes. Uh, who here tears up uh, when they experience God's kindness afresh as they witness a baptism? I know that I do. It gets me every time. It's wonderful, isn't it? Because it's God's kindness to us in experiencing the gospel in a whole other way, and we are able to receive his promises by faith once again. And so that's why we baptise people, because it's God's kindness to his people in proclaiming the gospel to us again in another way, because he knows that we need it. And that's why baptism is the true mark of, uh, a proper mark of a true disciple of Christ. It's for someone who has received by faith the promises of God in the gospel through the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, now also receiving by faith those same promises of God in the waters of baptism. See, baptism, it's a precious gift for the disciple of Christ who has turned life of sin trusted in him, in him for forgiveness and is now set on walking in the newness of life that has been given to them. And so the obvious question here is, if you have trusted for, in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and would say that you are following him, then have you been baptised? And if not... Why not? <laughs> Why would you not come and receive the precious comfort of God in the waters of baptism 
and experience his precious promises of the gospel to you. It's the proper response and the mark of someone who has trusted in Jesus. And it's God's kindness to you to receive the gift of baptism. At Pentecost, the Apostle Peter told those who responded to the message of the gospel to repent and be baptized. It's fitting and it's right that both of those things take place. And so if you have repented, if you have trust in Jesus, come and be baptized. Please come, let us know that you need to be baptized. Come after the service, send us an email during the week. We would be absolutely delighted to see that happen. And if you have been baptized, can I ask you, when was the last time you thanked God for your baptism? Do you now see it not as something just to tick a box or just as an act of obedience that you must do for church membership or just as a public declaration of faith, but that it's actually a precious gift to you from God? Something not primarily that you have done, but that you have received. Because there is nothing, nothing at all about the gospel that requires our works but everything that requires us to receive it with the empty hands of faith. Uh, On the 22nd of February, 2009, uh, I was baptised in the shallow waters of Point Walter, uh, and I did not know it then that I was receiving God's kindness to me in the grace of a visible gospel word. But in moments of doubt... In times of crisis, when I wonder where God's goodness is and if I really do belong to him, I can remember my baptism and remember the fact that I have been united with Christ in his death and and have been raised with him in his life. And I can remember that God's promises to me will never fail as I hold on to them in faith. I don't trust in my baptism, but I trust in God's promises to me that are shown in my baptism. And so this is why Jesus has commanded us that we make disciples by marking with the sign of baptism. Not because it saves someone, but because it is the means by which we take hold of the promises of our God by faith. And baptism is the proper mark of someone who is a true disciple of Jesus. And so the part that every single one of us has to play in fulfilling the Great Commission is to hold out the gospel to those who need it, to be co-workers with God, to be desperately praying that he would save people as we go, and in one sense, as we bring people to the waters of baptism. Uh, Not suggesting that we all go around separately, you know, uh, doing baptisms in the backyard pool. I think there's something that's really precious about the whole gathering of God's people being there to witness such a thing. But in our going, we make disciples by pleading with them to turn from their sins, to trust in Jesus. And when they do, then we baptize them. 
And so if baptism in one sense marks the beginning of someone becoming a disciple, how is it then that they continue in their discipleship? Well, it is through teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. This is the second way in which we've been commanded by Christ to make disciples. Because you see, the Great Commission is not just about evangelism. It's not just about going to the nations. It's not just about planting churches or making converts. The Great Commission will include all of those things, but at its core, it's about making disciples and leading those disciples in the ongoing journey towards maturity. Uh, I'm sure we all know someone who uh, once was walking with Jesus, but then turned away for one reason or another. Even those who had been following Jesus for years, even decades, before turning away. And it deeply saddens us, doesn't it? And by no means should we ever stop praying for them to return. But I don't think I can imagine the even greater number of people who have made, once made a decision to follow Jesus, maybe even were baptised, but then within the year, within a few months, have turned away from him to go back their old way of living. I I won't give too much away, but years ago I used to be part of a church that every single Sunday would get people to uh, stick up their hand if they wanted to follow Jesus. Uh, Many of you have probably also been in a church service where they've done something similar to that, and I don't necessarily want to get into a bait whether that's a, a, a healthy practice or not, but I think it's really interesting to think about what exactly happens to those people who anonymously stick up their hand to follow Jesus, but then never actually went on to be discipled. Now, God, can God uh, save people that way? Of course he can. But Jesus' words to us must never leave us content for that to be the case. Because the Great Commission is much more than just about making converts or getting people to respond to the gospel. It is about teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded us. Which means, right, that you never stop being discipled. A moment of conversion is just the beginning point which marks an entire lifetime, dare I say even all of eternity, of growing in Jesus. Uh, let's consider the, the alternative for a moment. Um, I'm not sure it's actually possible, but hypothetically, what would it look like for someone to trust in Jesus, even be baptised, but then to never be discipled, to never be taught to obey all the things which Jesus has commanded? Uh, I think it would be pretty similar if I had entered into my marriage with Stacey and then living for the rest of my life without ever spending time with her, never getting to know her, never considering her desires or what would be a blessing to her. Uh, That's not what a marriage, uh, what it takes to make a marriage last, is it? Uh, I think it would be quite wrong even if I was allowed to go a day or two to live like that. And so in no way should we consider someone to be a disciple of Christ, nor should we consider our job to be done in making disciples by just getting them to the wedding day and then never having anything to do with them again. See, making disciples is not fulfilled in seeing someone converted. 
Making disciples does not cease when someone starts going to church. Making disciples does not even stop once they have been baptised. It's just the beginning. It's the beginning of a lifelong process of seeing them grow more mature in their knowledge and their love for Jesus and for others. Jesus' command to us to make disciples by teaching them to obey all that he has commanded is, again, a summary of what we typically now call the life of discipleship. And so to fulfill the Great Commission is to make disciples and to keep on discipling them. It's to keep on teaching people all that Jesus said and did, to keep on showing people the glory of God in the Scriptures, to keep on helping them to see all the precious promises of God in the gospel and why they really matter to us. Why? So that people would truly be disciples of Christ and that they would walk in obedience to all that he has commanded us faithfully until the end. In Jesus' parables, which Matthew records for us, it's only the wheat which is gathered up but the weeds that will be burned. It's only the five wise virgins who are obedient and their lamps lamps trimmed who are welcomed in. It's only the servants who put their master's money to good use who will be entrusted with more. It's only those who respond in faith and repentance, who turn away from their life of sin, but continue to walk in the newness of life, who will be found as one of God's people on that final day. Not because we've earned it, but because the genuineness of our salvation has been proven to be true. See, it is a dangerous thing to live your life assuming that you are a Christian, but not growing in God's word. Not seeking to mature in your faith not actively being involved in things and with people that will help you to obey all that Jesus has commanded you. And we are not fulfilling the Great Commission if we are not content to be diligently at work and to see people grow in God's word and mature in their faith. In fact, not only are we not fulfilling it, But the far more serious reality is that we are actually putting people's salvation at risk. For there is no good reason to assume that someone who once confessed Jesus will make it to that final day without being strengthened by God's word and growing in their faith and pursuing holiness. Jesus, he likens those kinds of people to the rocky soil and the thorny soil, that even though the seed might have taken root for a time, there was no depth, and the cares of this life choked them and they withered away. So let us be a church who is diligent in seeing people grow in God's word and mature in their faith. Let us be the people of God who are actively working to see disciples made and that they hold fast to Jesus for all of their days. The only way that we will see that is by holding out the word of life to them in the scriptures. And it's only through word-based ministry that we should expect to see disciples grown and matured. 
And this is why we run growth groups during the week, right? Where sick people will gather in homes and open the Bible together and discuss what it means for them and apply it and pray about the things that they've read. This is why we endorse things like Trinity at Night, where anyone can come and learn how to understand their Bibles better and how to live more faithfully in light of it. This is why we encourage people to get together uh, one-on-one with people to read the Bible. That maybe that you could do that with someone who's younger than you in the faith. You can encourage them and help them to grow and to mature through knowing God and His Word. This is why just about every Friday night we make sure that we open the Bible with our teenagers. This is why there aren't just babysitters out there right now taking care of your children, but that there are people that love God and love His Word and love your children and want to see them grow and mature in it. Because it's only through God's Word that we can truly know Him and what He's done for us and therefore how we ought to live. So let us be a people that is saturated in the Scriptures so that we can be diligently working to see others grown and matured in Christ as well. Because this is how we are to fulfill the Great Commission and to make disciples, by baptising them as they respond to the Gospel and then seeking to grow and mature them in the Word of God. Baptising and teaching, they're not just simply buttons to press or levers to pull. No, they are precious and blood-bought gifts given to us by the risen and reigning Lord Jesus to see the Great Commission fulfilled. Disciples made from every nation, from every tribe and tongue. They are gifts given to us as means by which we actually get to participate in this extraordinary, this humbling, this hard but life-giving work as co-workers with God. So let's go, GBC. Let's go knowing that the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth is with us. Let's go knowing that there are human beings made in the image of God who are condemned in their sin and need to know the grace of the gospel. Let's go with confidence, knowing that our King who suffered and died has paid the price for his people. We have the message and we have the means. Our great God has given us everything that we need. So let's go and make disciples. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you that you have not commanded us to do something which we have no idea how to do. You have given us such precious gifts to make disciples in the means of baptizing and teaching people. And even more than that, you have given us your presence wherever we go, even to the end of the age. Please would you embolden us, please strengthen us, please convict us, please move us to go and make disciples of all nations. Help us to utterly depend upon you as we go. And please would you help us to be faithful in our efforts and to trust you with the fruitfulness. 
But Lord, we do pray, would you please bring about a revival in our region and in this nation? Would you cause the hearts of many to respond to your grace as we share it with them? Indeed, would you please stir the hearts of all of us here to love you more deeply and to grow in faith and maturity as we hold fast to your word? Lord, we want to see more grace go to more people so that you get more glory. Amen.